Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Uh, how are you all doing? Are you excited to be here this morning? That's great, I am too. Um, I'm not going to introduce myself, I'm Adam, you, you all know that. Um, we're in this series... Look at that, thank you Jim. There's my friend right there. I'll come and sit next to you, I think. Uh, <laughs> we're in this series, Resilience, Finding Strength When Life Sucks, because as we, as we all know, sometimes life sucks, doesn't it? Sometimes we go through stuff that we find difficult to handle. Sometimes we go through stuff that we don't know how to handle or we feel like we can't bear it. We just want to get to the end of it. Sometimes things go pear-shaped. And so we want to have more resilience. And that's what this series is about, is that we get more strength, more courage, more resilience to, to know what to do and to be able to stand up tall. The Bible tells us in Ephesians to stand. He says stand. And we want to know how to do that so we don't crumple every time the next thing comes around the corner that we're not expecting. So we're in this series, uh, Resilience. And our theme kind of verse for this series is, is words of Jesus taken from uh, John chapter 16. So this is right uh, a, a few moments before he gets arrested and goes through all the trial and, and then gets crucified. And he's tell, he tells his disciples some really important things. And one of the things he says is this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, your life will suck sometimes. In this world, you're going to face things that you don't know how to handle. But, he says, take heart. Have courage. Have confidence. Have hope. I have overcome the world. In this world, trouble, yes, that's true. But what's also true is you can take heart because he has overcome the world. Whatever you've got to face in this world, whatever stuff you've got to go through, he's overcome it. And he's going to walk with you through it. So in the first message of this series, two weeks ago, we looked at the um, parable of the wise and foolish builder, which we all know the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his... Anybody went to Sunday school back in the 80s? That's what we sang. <laughs> I don't think you went to Sunday school in the 80s, Jim. <laughs> Hoping a little bit there, mate. <laughs> you sang it though. <laughs> um, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. So we've got two builders, a wise one and a, and a foolish one. And the storms of life come, but the wise man's house, because he built it on the rock, stands. And what does he build it on? It says he builds it on, he reads the word, and he does what it says. He applies it to his life. And that's the rock in which we stand. So we said one of the great ways of getting resilience is to know the word of God and to apply it into our lives. To know it and apply it. And then we'll stand. Uh, that was the two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the uh, story of Joseph at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And we saw how actually um, God wants us to not just get through the tough times, you know, by the skin of our teeth, but actually he wants us to thrive in the, th in the tough times. He wants us to be fruitful in those tough times. And we all know that when we've been through something that's challenged us, we grow in those times. It's where we develop perseverance. It's where our character is developed and we become better people because of it. We can be fruitful, not just in spite of the tough times, but because of the troubles. And that's what we looked at last week. And I love these words, take heart. Take heart. There used to be a TV program. Do you remember Take Heart? Tony Hart? 
Morph. Yeah, Morph. Uh, I don't know why I'm going there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, take heart. Okay, it's two words that are, in, are there to give us confidence. It's there to, to make us have courage, uh, to have hope. And in, uh, and in last week's message, I brought out two scriptures from the book of Hebrews, which I'm going to read again to you right now. It said, let us then with confidence, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of grace, that's where Jesus is. Okay, our grace comes through Jesus and what he's done for us. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. When? When we need it. When, we, when we're in that trouble, we can have confidence that we can draw near to Jesus and he's going to help us. And also the second one from Hebrews 13, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? There are so many scriptures and promises uh, throughout the Bible that tell us to have confidence, to stand, to be strong and courageous, to fear not, to have faith, to be assured of the hope that we have. They're instructions essentially from God to us, his people. Take heart, be strong, stand, have courage, find hope. And this is my, uh, my title uh, of my message today, is uh, to f- uh, we need to find hope. Because I actually think that hope is one of the greatest creators of resilience within us. If we can have hope, then actually we can put up with a whole lot of mess. We can put up with a whole lot of trouble. We all know that hope is such a, a strong force. Psychologists all say the same thing. You put people into terrible, terrible, dire circumstances. Um, For example, you know, prisoner of war camp or even a concentration camp like Auschwitz. The psychologists say the people who survived were those who kept hope. Those who had hope were able to look beyond their present circumstances and see a better tomorrow. And because of it, they were able to survive. I heard a great saying, a little tomorrow can make up for a whole lot of yesterday. A little tomorrow can make up for a whole lot of stuff, even today. The things that we're facing, the troubles that we're facing in our present or that we faced yesterday. If we've got a hope for tomorrow, we can put up with a lot. We can be more resilient. So today I want us to find hope. I want us to build more hope in our life. But it's vital that our hope is placed correctly, right? We've got to put our hope in the right thing in order for it to be effective in our lives. So I want us to use our imaginations this morning. Are you ready for this? Yeah. You ready to get your, engage your imaginations, get your minds working? Imagine what your life would be like if you had absolute, perfect confidence that, number one, there is a God. All right? Quite simple. Imagine you had absolute perfect confidence that there is a God. That number two, that he's a God who knows you personally. He knows your name. He wants to be, he wants to have a relationship with you. Okay, so have absolute, imagine what your life would be like if you, one, you knew there was a God. Two, he's a God who wants to meet with you personally. And number three, are you all right there, Grace? Yeah? That he's pro- this God has promised to be with you 
every day of your life. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you, uh, to be with you through all your troubles. So just three things. Imagine what your life would be like if you had that kind of confidence in those things. Now, it seems quite simple, doesn't it? It seems like, oh, yeah, surely that's, that's obvious. Surely we should all have confidence in that. But if we did, I think probably our lives would look a little different than they do. Bear with me. Imagine what your life would be like if you had that kind of confidence, that kind of faith, that kind of hope. A hope and a confidence based on an assurance that there's nothing that you have to face without God. A hope that says when, when trouble comes around the corner and hits you, you can say, I know that things are bad right now. I know that this stuff that I'm going through is terrible, but I am believing that God is with me, whatever I've got to face. A hope that says when you face temptation, wow, I'm struggling with this area right now. I don't even know how I'm going to resist it. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. But I know God is going to be with me as I face it. A kind of hope uh, and a confidence that says when something fantastic happens, when something great happens, uh, you come into a, a windfall of money or you get that dream job or you land that, that girlfriend or boyfriend that's way out of your league. Uh, Dan? I'm just looking around. I'm thinking, no, no boyfriends, girlfriends going on there. But Dan, yes. <laughs> um, because you know, actually, the good stuff can trip us up just as much as the bad stuff. It really can. In fact, more so often. But imagine having the kind of confidence and assurance that says, God, I don't know why this good stuff's happened to me, but I trust that you're going to help me make good decisions. In it. You're going to give me the wisdom that I need to handle this well, to handle this right. Imagine what your life would be like if that were the case. You just simply trusted God 100%, totally, all in, absolute, total, perfect confidence. Imagine what your life would be like. Imagine that you could say, God's got a perfect will for me, and I am wholly at peace with whatever happens. Wholly, completely at peace. No anxiety, no fear about uh, my kids or my marriage or my finances or my jobs or my friendships. No fear about more rain coming and the floods getting closer to my house every day. That's me. That's my world. <laughs> Opening the curtains in the morning, looking out the window, going, how much closer is it now to my house? Imagine I had no fear of that. Imagine um, that you just have confidence, not just in your ability, but in God's presence to see you through, to see you through those difficult times and the great times, and the normal times, and the everyday times, every situation, your peace is unshakable because of the confidence that you have and the hope that you have. Maybe you know or have known somebody a bit like that. I think sometimes our grandparents were a little bit like that because of what they lived through maybe in the war. I don't know. But my, my nana, I was thinking about my nana this week, um, died many years ago. But I don't think I ever saw her rattled about anything. She just had this quiet confidence, this quiet peace that was infectious in a way. Confident in God's goodness. Maybe 
Maybe you see stuff and it's not happening to you, but it's terrible stuff happening to other people and your heart goes out to them. And they seem okay, but you're feeling it on their behalf. You're going, have you seen what you're going through right now? And they're like, yeah, yeah, but I think God's got it. And you're going, well, how can you have that peace? And you're just all churned up inside because of what's happening to somebody else. But maybe you didn't have to. Maybe you had that confidence to imagine what your life would be like. Maybe if you could say, like King David was able to say in that well-known psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is, is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, he says, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> yay. I will fear no evil. Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Imagine we could say that. And truly mean it because we had that confidence, that same, that same hope. I love the imagery of the second half of that psalm. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this is kind of what we were talking about last week. Enemies, trouble, difficulties surrounding us, all, all around us. And God, what has God done? He's put a table and laid it out with all sorts of goodies. There's a trifle there. There's a banoffee pie right there. Yeah, there's, some, there's, some, there's a cooked breakfast there from the bridge house. Great day yesterday, men, right? Nice breakfast. Come on. There's some fillet steaks there. There's my brother-in-law's curry. He's right there. He makes a brilliant biryani, my brother-in-law. And he's like, God's laid a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Anybody else looking on the outside, all they can see is me in the middle, my enemies all around me, but right here. There's a table. Because when trouble comes, God's got a table for us. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to be fruitful. And that's where God wants to take us today. He wants us to have confidence. He wants to have that kind of resilience. He wants us to have that kind of trust. Because trust is so important. Right at the very beginning of the creation story... This is the very thing that breaks the relationship between God and man. God didn't turn up and say, okay, here's a list of things you've got to do. Here's a list of things you haven't got to do. Go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. You did that one. You didn't quite make that one. Never mind. It's all gone to pot. It hasn't worked. No, the thing that broke down was trust. It all came down to trust. Adam and Eve not trusting that God's will for them was for their best. And God's instructions to them was for their best. They failed because of a lack of trust in God. And God has been working ever since to restore that trust. He's been working ever since um, to uh, create that trust again between God and man. Everything that God has done, every story we read about in Scripture, all the events that happened in the Bible from beginning to end are all God really demonstrating his faithfulness, culminating in sending his son to take away the sin of the world. He's saying, come on, trust me. I am faithful. Trust me. Trust me. Giving us something solid in which we can hope and trust. He wants us to have confidence. You know that the more trust you have in a relationship, the better that relationship is. 
And that's true whether it's in a marriage, whether it's a, a parent to a child, whether it's a friendship. The more trust that you have in your relationship, the better that relationship is. Being able to say, I trust you. I trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I trust that you're not going to harm me. I trust that everything you do is for my best intentions. And because we know that trust is so important in relationship, we can, be, we can work on, on being trustworthy and at the same time giving our trust to people. Relationships will thrive when we do that. And the whole Bible is essentially God calling humankind back into a faith and a trust-based relationship with him. Maybe you're someone who hasn't yet made that commitment to follow Jesus. I'm guessing it's probably a trust issue. You don't necessarily trust that he is who he says he is or he is who other people have said he is. Maybe you're someone uh, who has decided to follow Jesus and you've given him your life, but maybe there are some areas that you've held back. I think probably we all fall into this category, really. That there are areas that we haven't quite, we're not quite ready to let go of because we're not completely, 100% trusting that he's there for us and that his presence is going to be with us. Maybe we think, if I reveal this area, God won't, God won't forgive me anymore. This area is terrible. Can I just say he knows and you can trust him? He knows everything and you can trust him. More than God wants our obedience, more than God wants us to know a bunch of facts about him, he wants us to wholly trust him, have a hope and a confidence in him. There's a, uh, a great moment um, when Jesus was on the earth, uh, re re recounted in uh, Matthew's Gospel, um, of this amazing trust that somebody puts in Jesus. We're going to look at it uh, right now. So it's from Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, then it's from verse 5 uh, to 10. Matthew chapter 8, 5 to 10. And we're just going to look at this uh, today. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now a centurion, I'm sure you all know this, you're all bright people, but a centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. Everything that the centurion told these soldiers to do, they would do. They would jump to it because he had authority over uh, these men. And um, I want you to use your imagination here. Jesus is walking through town, doing what he does. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's casting out demons. He's feeding people. He's just hanging out. And all of a sudden, there's, there's this Roman soldier, kind of dressed all in his Roman soldier thing, including that dustpan and brush thing on the top of his head. We've seen it, yeah? I don't know what that's for. I'm going to just sweep up a little bit there and then put it back on the head. Um, but this soldier comes up, probably flanked by some other soldiers who are under him, and he marches up to Jesus. And I can imagine the crowd getting a, bit, a little bit antsy. Yeah, Peter, what have you done now? God, this guy's coming, coming for us. But he walks up to Jesus, and he says he's asking for help. A couple of things here. First, the Romans are the bad guys. The Romans are the occupying force in uh, Judea, and um, nobody really wants them there. Nobody really wants anything to do with 
the Romans, if they can possibly help it. These guys have the power to drag you away from your bed at night and you're never heard from again. But here he is asking for help. The second thing about the Romans is they are pagan. They're law-breaking. They don't follow God's law. They're heathens. They're non-God-fearing. And so this um, pagan soldier, this centurion, uh, says to Jesus, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Let's just take a step back here and try to imagine this scene. You're all standing there. You're one of the disciples. This Roman soldier, who you hate, has come up to Jesus and said, my servant is suffering terribly. You're like, good. (laughs) You probably don't say it out loud, but you probably think it. Great. I hope your servant dies and can't serve you anymore. I hope you catch whatever he's got and give it to all your men. I hope you all die a horrible death. This is what you're thinking right now. Come on, Jesus, let's go and help some Jews. Let's go and help some of your own people. He says, my servant is at home paralyzed. So what does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? What? Come on, Jesus, you know who these guys are. What are you talking about? Shall I come and heal him? This is the Romans we're talking about. But Jesus is totally serious. Shall I come to your place and heal him? Because that's how healing is done. Jesus comes and uh, he lays his hand on him or he speaks a word over him or he does something a bit weird sometimes, putting mud on him or something. You know, he, he does something and the person gets healed. Shall I come to your house and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Well, that's the first honest thing you've said. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow, this is new. He's saying, Jesus, you don't have to come to my home. I've seen what you've been doing. I've heard how you've done all these amazing miracles. You're this amazing miracle worker. I think you don't even need to touch my servant. I don't even think you need to come and be in the same room as my servant I live 14 streets away, and I think, actually, you can send this miracle wirelessly. I think you can do it over the airwaves. This is amazing. This is truly amazing. I think that you don't even need to come with me. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he explains why he thinks this. He says, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. He says, Jesus, you and I, we're similar. You and I, we have this in common. I've got all these men who have to do what I say. I tell them to jump and they say how high. I say, guard this gate in the freezing cold of night and they'll just do it without questioning. Why? It's not because of me. It's not because they respect me or like me. They do it because of this uniform. They do it because of the authority that I'm under. Because when I speak... To these men, it's like Rome is speaking through me, and so they have to obey because I'm a man under authority, and they know that there is somebody over me speaking through me. I represent Rome, and that gives me authority. Now, I've seen that sickness and death even do what you say, Jesus. 
I've seen that when you tell people to be healed, the sickness leaves them. I've seen demons obey you, Jesus. I've seen that you've got this kind of authority as well. You don't look that special. You kind of look like me. So I'm guessing there's a higher authority at work here that these guys, sickness and trouble, has to obey you because of the authority above you, Jesus. That's what he's saying. You're just a guy. But these things do what you say because the authority you represent is big enough and strong enough to heal my servant all the way at home from here. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he just does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Amazed. And this is a, uh, an interesting word. It's a Greek word, thormatso. Thormatso. And we see it again and again throughout the New Testament scripture, this word used, thormatso, meaning amazed, astonished, astounded, surprised. But it's never used for Jesus. It's always used for crowds or disciples or the people. That people were amazed, the disciples were amazed. But this is the only time when it tells us that Jesus is amazed. And what's he amazed at? He's amazed. Oops, sorry, let's go back. He's amazed and said to those following him, I truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He's amazed at this guy's faith. Now, this is such a diss to all the disciples and the Jewish leaders and everybody there, the religious leaders. Yeah, by all means, tell us we need to have more faith, but don't compare us to this guy and tell us we need to be more like him. Please don't do that. But Jesus is going, no, 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 this, is, this guy gets it. This guy has got his hope and his confidence in the authority that I represent. And he's the first time I've ever seen this on this planet. And it's a Roman soldier. Man, this is amazing. You guys need to pay attention to this soldier. He gets it. Why does he get it? Because he trusts me. He's got confidence in me because of who I represent. He understands that I represent the creator of everything, the one who has got the power over sickness and death and disease, the one who has overcome the world. In this world, you're going to face trouble. You're going to face sickness and hardships and difficulties. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have ultimate authority over everything that the world is going to throw at you. The Roman centurion, he found hope in a God like that. Imagine what our lives would be like if we found hope in a God like that too. Imagine if we truly believed. Gid, would you mind coming up, mate? The book of Job is an interesting book. Um, most of you, I'm sure, know kind of the story of Job. He's a guy who has got everything. He's got great family. He's got a great home. He's got a livelihood. He's got wealth. He's got camels. He's got sheep. He's really well off, and everything is going his way. And then through one thing and another, everything gets lost. He's, he loses his children. He loses his home. He loses his livelihood, and he's left with nothing. And we read through the book of Job, Job's friends coming to comfort him. But essentially what they do throughout the book is they're, they're blaming Job for all this stuff that's happening to him. And it's wrong and it's a misplaced blame. 
Because Job is just trusting God. But one of the things that one of his friends said, we find it in chapter 8 of Job. He says this, Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. Without God, there is no hope. Without God, there's no hope. Without God, whatever we place our hope in, if it's not God, is insecure. It's not firm enough. It's not stable enough. It won't stand when the storms come. But with, hope, with God, our hope is based on something solid. Our resilience is greater. Our confidence is strong because our hope is put into something that's unshakable and immovable. In the book of Hebrews, uh, Paul writes, and I'm going to finish with this, my last text for today. Um, in chapter 6, Abraham's look, actually it's the second sentence. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them. So that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When you make a promise, you base it on something, an authority higher than you. That's what he's saying. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is unchangeable. We sang it this morning. He's our promise keeper. He keeps his promises because he based it on his word and he can't break his word. Paul goes on. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's a hope that we shouldn't ever let go of. It's easy for us to say this, but we need to do it in practice. And the final sentence is an amazing sentence. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Because what our soul, it drifts. Our soul drifts, it does. We can be here on a Sunday and we can declare all these great truths and go, yes, I'm feeling resilient. And then Monday morning, something goes wrong. And all of a sudden, oh, our soul, it drifts. We need to put our hope in the anchor that is God's word, that is Jesus' promises. That's our anchor. An anchor keeps something from moving and it creates stability in our life. Let's make sure our hope is where it should be. I know I often bring hymns. I like old hymns. I think they've got some great theology in them. We're not going to sing this hymn because I think, actually, I've been, it's, going, it's been going through my head all week. And, and there's this kind of disconnect between the words of this hymn and the music. The words of this hymn are so deep and, and just, they drive these truths home. And the music is like, and I think, oh, and I think, oh, I wish the music was a bit more, a bit more substantial. And just, it's like, oh, yeah, it sounds like more like a drinking song than a, than a, a song declaring eternal truth. But I am going to read you the words because I think the words are amazing. The first verse, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, because they do. 
When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Because the truth is you have got storms of life to go through. Tomorrow morning, you're going to hit the storms of life. Will your anchor hold? Is it in the right place? The second verse. Will your anchor hold in the straits of fear? When the breakers roar and the reef is near. While the surges rage and the wild winds blow, shall the angry waves then your back overflow? Because actually, these things that we're facing, they cause fear to rising up instead of faith. We need to combat that fear with faith. With faith, with trust. The third verse, will your anchor hold in the floods of death when the water's cold, chill your latest breath? On the rising tide, you can never fail while your anchor holds within the veil. Hello. Hiya. It's all right, come here. Hello, Are You okay? So here, the writer of the hymn is just talking about death. We can face death. That's kind of the, I guess that's the worst trouble that we face. But actually with our hope in the right place. Not even death has a sting for us. Not even death. The last verse. Will your eyes behold through the morning light, the city of gold and the harbor bright? Will your anchor safe by the heavenly shore when my storms are past forevermore? And that's a hope, isn't it? Because, yes, we're going to face troubles in this life, but there's going to be a time in eternity that the troubles are ended. And whatever else hope we have, that's our greatest hope in the eternal promise. A promise of an eternity with God. The chorus that comes between each verse, I'm sure you know it. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We've got to put our hope in something, in the most substantial thing, not in the wrong thing, in the Savior's love, in the way maker, in the promise keeper, in the light in the darkness. That's who he is. Let's put our hope in the right thing. I'm just going to pray. Bow our heads. Lord God, as we take these truths into our heart, as we take these truths into our week, into our Mondays, and Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and Fridays. Lord, I pray that we would learn to not just know these truths, but to walk these truths out, to live like they are true. So we don't have to imagine a life where we have 100% complete confidence, but we live in that way. We live knowing that the Lord is our shepherd. We live knowing that, uh, yes, trouble is coming, but... We can take heart, we can have confidence, we can have the strength and the courage to say, He has overcome the world and our anchor is secure in the Father's love. Lord, help us. Help our unbelief. In your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. We're done. Thank you.